0: Welcome to the Perennials Podcast Book Club. I'm Victoria Russell, and you're listening to Chapter 24 of Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. Chapter 24. Miss Stacy and her pupils get up a concert. It was October again when Anne was ready to go back to school. A glorious October, all red and gold, with mellow mornings when the valleys were filled with delicate mists, as if the spirit of autumn had poured them in for the sun to drain. Amethyst, pearl, silver, rose, and smoke-blue. The dews were so heavy that the fields glistened like cloth of silver, and there were such heaps of rustling leaves in the hollows of many-stemmed woods to run crisply through. The birch path was a canopy of yellow, and the ferns were sere and brown all along it. There was a tang in the very air that inspired the hearts of small maidens tripping, unlike snails, swiftly and willingly to school. And it was jolly to be back again at the little brown desk beside Diana, with Ruby Gillis nodding across the aisle and Carrie Sloan sending up notes and Julia Bell passing a chew of gum down from the back seat. Anne drew a long breath of happiness as she sharpened her pencil and arranged her picture cards in her desk. Life was certainly very interesting. In the new teacher, she found another true and helpful friend. Miss Stacy was a bright, sympathetic young woman, with the happy gift of winning and holding the affections of her pupils and bringing out the best that was in them mentally and morally. Anne expanded like a flower under this wholesome influence and carried home to the admiring Matthew and the critical Marilla glowing accounts of schoolwork and aims. I love Miss Stacy with my whole heart, Marilla. She is so ladylike, and she has such a sweet voice. When she pronounces my name, I feel instinctively that she's spelling it with an E. We had recitations this afternoon. I just wish you could have been there to hear me recite Mary, Queen of Scots. I just put my whole soul into it. Ruby Gillis told me coming home that the way I said the line, Now for my father's blood, she said, my woman's heart farewell, just made her blood run cold. Well, now, you might recite it for me some of these days out in the barn, suggested Matthew. Of course I will, said Anne meditatively, but I won't be able to do it so well, I know. It won't be so exciting as it is when you have a whole schoolful before you hanging breathlessly on your words. I know I won't be able to make your blood run cold. Mrs. Lynde says it made her blood run cold to see the boys climbing to the very tops of those big trees on Bell's Hill after Crow's Nest last Friday, said Marilla. I wonder at Miss Stacy for encouraging it. "'But we wanted a crow's nest for nature study,' explained Anne. "'That was on our field afternoon. "'Field afternoons are splendid, Marilla, "'and Miss Stacy explains everything so beautifully. "'We have to write compositions on our field afternoons, "'and I write the best ones.' "'It's very vain of you to say so, then. "'You'd better let your teacher say it.' "'But she did say it, Marilla, "'and indeed I'm not vain about it. "'How can I be when I'm such a dunce at geometry? "'Although I'm really beginning to see through it a little, too. "'Miss Stacy makes it so clear.' Still, I'll never be good at it, and I assure you it is a humbling reflection. But I love writing compositions. Mostly Miss Stacy lets us choose our own subjects, but next week we are to write a composition on some remarkable person. It's hard to choose among so many remarkable people who have lived. Mustn't it be splendid to be remarkable and have compositions written about you after you're dead? Oh, I would dearly love to be remarkable. I think when I grow up I'll be a trained nurse and go with the Red Crosses to the field of battle as a messenger of mercy that is if I don't go out as a foreign missionary. That would be very romantic, but one would have to be very good to be a missionary, and that would be a stumbling block. We have physical culture exercises every day, too. They make you graceful and promote digestion. Promote fiddlesticks, said Marilla, who honestly thought it was all nonsense. But all the field afternoons and recitation Fridays and physical culture contortions paled before a project which Miss Stacy brought forward in November. This was that the scholars of Avonlea School should get up a concert and hold it in the hall on Christmas night for the laudable purpose of helping to pay for a schoolhouse flag. The pupils, one and all, taking graciously to this plan, the preparations for a program were begun at once. And of all the excited performers elect, none was so excited as Anne Shirley, who threw herself into the undertaking heart and soul, hampered as she was by Marilla's disapproval. Marilla thought it all rank foolishness. It's just filling your heads up with nonsense and taking time that ought to be put on your lessons, she grumbled. I don't approve of children's getting up concerts and racing about to practices. It makes them vain and forward and fond of gadding. But think of the worthy object, pleaded Anne. A flag will cultivate a spirit of patriotism, Marilla. Fudge. There's precious little patriotism in the thoughts of any of you. All you want is a good time. Well, when you can combine patriotism and fun, isn't it all right? Of course, it's real nice to be getting up a concert. We're going to have six choruses, and Diana is to sing a solo. I'm in two dialogues, the Society for the Suppression of Gossip and the Fairy Queen. The boys are going to have a dialogue, too. And I'm to have two recitations, Marilla. I just tremble when I think of it, but it's a nice, thrilly kind of tremble. And we're to have a tableau at the last, Faith, Hope, and Charity. Diana and Ruby and I are to be in it, all draped in white with flowing hair. I'm to be hope with my hands clasped so and my eyes uplifted. I'm going to practice my recitations in the garret. Don't be alarmed if you hear me groaning. I have to groan heartrendingly in one of them, and it's really hard to get up a good artistic groan. Marilla Josie Pye is sulky because she didn't get the part she wanted in the dialogue. She wanted to be the fairy queen. That would have been ridiculous for whoever heard of a fairy queen as fat as Josie? Fairy queens must be slender. Jane Andrews is to be the queen, and I am to be one of her maids of honor. Josie says she thinks a red-haired fairy is just as ridiculous as a fat one, but I do not let myself mind what Josie says. I'm to have a wreath of white roses on my hair, and Ruby Gillis is going to lend me her slippers because I haven't any of my own. It's necessary for fairies to have slippers, you know. You couldn't imagine a fairy wearing boots, could you? Especially with copper toes? We are going to decorate the hall with creeping spruce and fir mottos with pink tissue paper roses in them, and we are all to march in two by two after the audience is seated while Emma White plays a march on the organ. Oh, Marilla, I know you are not so enthusiastic about it as I am, but don't you hope your little Anne will distinguish herself? "'All I hope is that you'll behave yourself. "'I'll be heartily glad when all this fuss is over "'and you'll be able to settle down. "'You are simply good for nothing just now "'with your head stuffed full of dialogues "'and groans and tableaus. "'As for your tongue, it's a marvel "'it's not clean worn out.' Anne sighed and betook herself to the backyard, "'over which a young new moon was shining "'through the leafless poplar boughs "'from an apple-green western sky "'and where Matthew was splitting wood.' Anne perched herself on a block and talked the concert over with him, sure of an appreciative and sympathetic listener in this instance at least. "'Well, now I reckon it's going to be a pretty good concert, and I expect you'll do your part fine,' he said, smiling down into her eager, vivacious little face. Anne smiled back at him. Those two were the best of friends, and Matthew thanked his stars many a time and oft that he had nothing to do with bringing her up. That was Marilla's exclusive duty.' If it had been his, he would have been worried over frequent conflicts between inclination and said duty. As it was, he was free to spoil Anne, Marilla's phrasing, as much as he liked. But it was not such a bad arrangement after all. A little appreciation sometimes does quite as much good as all the conscientious bringing up in the world. I love when chapters in this book start out with some description of the season and Um, what Avonlea looks like at this point in the year. And it seems that October is a particularly special month in Avonlea because earlier in the book, Anne says, I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. And now we get this beautiful description of October and Anne's return to school. But something that's not so beautiful in this chapter is the remark that Anne makes about Josie. When Anne is describing the different uh, dialogues and recitations and tableaus that will take place at the concert, she says that Josie is upset because she wanted to be the fairy queen. And Anne says unkindly, "That's ri- it's ridiculous because a fairy queen can't be fat and Josie is fat and a fairy queen is supposed to be slender. And then she says that Josie says, well, I think it's just as ridiculous For a fairy to have red hair. And so we see these beauty standards again. And how even Anne. Buys into them to a point of unkindness. And you know she views herself through pretty unkind eyes. When it comes to her appearance. And it's very hard then to view other people with kind eyes about their appearances. And we see that she doesn't really. And We also, everyone has had the experience of someone hurting them and then kind of trying to hurt the other person back. So, you know, Anne has these internalized ideas. She says something unkind to Josie and then Josie says something unkind to her. And so we can see how these standards and the ideas we have about girls and women's beauty can really cause these rifts um, between girls And, you know, we know that Anne and Josie have had their differences in the past. And Anne always says that Josie doesn't have any imagination. But we see here the limit of Anne's imagination because she can't see Josie as the fairy queen. And it reminds me of this poem by Rachel Wiley called Ten Thoughts on Being Loved by a Skinny Boy. One of the stanzas is... My college theater professor once told me that despite my talent, I would never be cast as a romantic lead. We put on shows that involve flying children and singing animals, but apparently no one has enough willing suspension of disbelief to buy anyone loving a fat girl. And so as much as Anne says that Josie doesn't have imagination, we see here how Anne's imagination is limited by these beauty standards. And you have to wonder if even Anne has made a remark like this to Josie, about her weight about her body then how is Josie expected to have much imagination if she has been treated like that and then we have this sweet moment with Anne and Matthew where you know Anne's telling Marilla about the concert and Marilla's just getting annoyed and exasperated and she's like I can't wait for this to be over so Anne goes out to talk to Matthew about it instead and Matthew is of course a sympathetic and appreciative listener. And, you know, we learn that these two are the best of friends. And I always feel a little bit rankled when we, we kind of get Matthew's perspective on just leaving the difficult parts of raising Anne to Marilla. I mean, I think it's ironic that he sees himself as not being part of her bringing up just because he gives her like pure love and acceptance. I think Montgomery's kind of winking at us about that when she ends the chapter by saying that appreciation can do just as much good as conscientious bringing up. I think Matthew and Marilla are kind of embodying these two very different styles of child rearing where with Marilla on the one end as the disciplinarian and Matthew on the other as just the like pure love um, But I always just feel a little rankled by the fact that he kind of abdicates himself from the tougher parts and is totally fine with just leaving it to Marilla. I think that's like a common thing, unfortunately, that happens for um, women who are raising children to kind of end up in the role of the one who isn't fun, the disciplinarian. And the fact is that, you know, Matthew doesn't want that that inner conflict between his inclination and his duty. But Marilla has just as much conflict about those things, even though she doesn't express it outwardly very much. She feels it internally. Like we see her constantly struggling between wanting to laugh and discipline and wanting to soften into the vulnerability of that love that she has for Anne and just wanting to do right by this kid and keep her safe and keep her from being hurt and help her be a good person and i think that that's something that people still struggle with like parents are constantly trying to figure out the middle way between pure love and acceptance and compassion and appreciation and sympathy and also like having that adult disciplined voice to help the kid you know like if if no one tells a kid to brush their teeth i mean their teeth could rot out of their head right so you you do need both forces, I think. And Matthew has it's seemingly kinda of abdicated himself from the more difficult, less fun <laughs> force. And so that always just as much as I really love Matthew and his sweetness and sensitivity and I can relate to how he feels about it, I also just feel like, oh man, I feel for Marilla. And then on the other side, I wish that Marilla could soften a little bit more to Anne in the way that Matthew does instead of being so brusque with her. So even though this is a very short chapter, I think it's such an interesting one for exploring the nuances of these different characters. Our beloved Anne has this part of her that is very unkind to Josie and has these ingrained beauty standards coming out. We see how Matthew and Marilla kind of both struggle with different aspects of of raising Anne and caring for her and so it's really interesting to unpack this chapter thank you so much for listening I hope you'll join me for chapter 24 of Anne of Green Gables you've been listening to the perennials podcast book club I'm Victoria Russell and I'll see you here next time take care